You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back into part two of the Locked On Nets podcast breakdown of the Nets uh, triple header against the Sacramento Kings, Washington Wizards, and the Indiana Pacers. I am your host and all-around Nets expert, Gavin Shaw. After four years covering the Phoenix Suns, I moved back to my native New York to give you all the Brooklyn Nets insight, analysis, and humorous observations I know you've been dying for. Um, if you missed part one of the podcast, uh, that should be up uh, on your podcast feed, wherever you get the Locked On Nets podcast. It'll be right there. Uh, I broke down what I liked and disliked about the Kings game. And I got a little bit into the Wizards game, but I saved a good chunk of that for this podcast. All right, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Nets, Wizards, uh, the Nets taking that one 119 to 84. They had their biggest lead of the year in this game. It, it was only 29 points, I think, was the most they've been up on a team going to this game. Uh, they passed that in the third quarter of this game and ended up being up by as much as 40 in the fourth quarter. So just an absurdly good effort for the Brooklyn Nets against a Wizards team that's been pretty mediocre this season. And the Nets have uh, won two games against, but still has a lot of talent, uh, specifically a lot more talent than the Nets do. So extremely impressive effort, uh, particularly coming off to um, pretty poor games back-to-back. All right, so the Nets uh, taking this one. We mentioned uh, in uh, part one of the pod uh, that they got off to a really strong start and then uh, had a really strong third quarter because of Spencer Dinwiddie, who had 11-0 run to start the third uh, back-to-back deep threes, a layup, then a 27-footer for him. All right, uh, other good stuff for this game. Uh, Vincent Chase, we mentioned. Uh, Karis LeVert, uh, this is kind of why I saved some of this for a second podcast, because I wanted to spend a good chunk of time on him. Uh, let's let's go through the raw statistics quickly, because I don't really want to focus on them. There was, it was more about uh, the old eye test, but the statistics were excellent. Uh, 24 minutes, 7-9 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3-point range, 17 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists for Karis Levert. Uh, Yeah, he's been nothing short of spectacular recently in the month of December, uh, averaging 14 points a game, five assists a game, and three rebounds a game in only uh, 28 minutes. So you up that to per 36. He's at around 17, uh, 6, and 5. I, I just I might have just made that up on the spot, but that, that's pretty close to what he's getting. And now it, it's more about the efficiency for Mr. Levert. Uh, 50% from the field, 44% from three after shooting 22% in October, and then 33% in November. So that's stunning. I don't know quite how sustainable it is, but we, we've seen him shoot it with a ton of confidence. So th- this game uh, was less of an outlier and more of, I've been using this word a lot in the last few podcasts because uh, that's really what I felt like it was. It, it, it was a culmination of uh, his strong performances this entire month. And I'm I'm ready to go ahead and say it, and I think this is an ideal uh, podcast to say it because I don't think uh, Josh shares his opinion and I won't get blowback. Um, I, I think I think Karras is a future superstar. And, okay, 
superstar strong. I think Karras is a future star. And uh, not in the uh, LeBron-Kevin Durant mold, obviously. Not even necessarily in the uh, Damian Lillard-Kyrie Irving mold. But he is a star in the Chris Middleton-Otto Porter role. The type of guy that uh, maybe you're a little bit hesitant about it, but ultimately you're going to give a max contract to or something close to it. I, I think he's just going to become an essential part of this Nets future, and that's that's great for him and his agent. But uh, let's get into the uh, basketball reasons for that. He has been so, so decisive on both ends. And that makes me think it's more than just him having a hot shooting month. He knows exactly what he wants to do with the basketball, when he wants to do it, how he wants to break a guy down. And then he's finally starting to fully harness all that speed, all that explosiveness he has to make it happen on both ends of the floor. He's not predetermining anything, as both uh, Sarah Kustak and uh, Jim Spinarkle have pointed out. And, and in the past, you always saw him kind of uh, read and then react kind of on a delay a little bit. He'd, he'd like really look to see if a defender was in the area, and, send, and then instead of leading a guy, he'd just kind of pass it out to him. Now he's beating guys off the dribble, reacting in real time, and letting the defense dictate the move he's going to make. And and that's that's something that analysts talk about a lot, like not letting the defense dictate what you're going to do and getting where you need to go and getting your shot. It, it takes a really, really skilled player to actually execute that because you have to beat the defense to dictate what you want to do. And Karras this last month has been able to do that. Um, he had a ridiculous crossover in this game. I think he dropped... Kelly Oubre, and that, that kind of epitomized what he's been doing off the dribble of late. Again, getting wherever he wants, getting to the basket. And then that jumper, again, we mentioned it. I, I don't think it's just the fact that he's hot because he just looks so confident taking that shot. And obviously that could be a symptom of it being hot, but it's it, that confidence comes from the fact that he's significantly more patient than he was throughout his rookie season and way, way more than he was throughout the month of the month and a half this year where he always looked like he was like about to pee himself on the floor and was like totally terrified of shooting at the wrong time and would wait way too long um, on his release and kind of shoot the ball on the way down. And it just didn't look good at all. And now he, he's, he's like up there with anyone in the league in terms of smooth jump shots. It looks, it looks absolutely feathery and frankly, like it's going in every single time he puts it up. Um, I thought a good example of how smart he's been playing recently um, it was a little play he had with Jared Allen where he drew a double. And a lot of times in those situations, like he was going to the basket, like didn't really have a clear angle. Um, guys will kind of just throw the ball away or like aim to pass it out because there's not really a clean shot there and they're already in the air. But Karras, again, symptomatic of how smart he's been, uh, just kind of launched it up, a double pump uh, kind of falling over his head as he was going out of bounds. And it, it was totally ill-advised as a shot. But he realized by drawing two guys and, and having that ability, he was clearing a wide open lane for Jared Allen. He was going to have an easy putback. So that's just a basketball intelligence play you love to see. And e even if it was incidental and um, you take out the basketball IQ points I'm, I'm assigning to that play, I mean, that that's the kind of impact superstars have. I remember this stat out there like two years ago that James Harden had more of his missed shots uh, or his miss, James Harden's missed shots turned into more points than any other player. That's a sign of a guy that's breaking down the defense, getting into the lane, and drawing so much attention. His teammates can't help but benefit from it. Uh, Karis LeVert, obviously not, not close to that level yet, 
but you're seeing some signs. I think he's going to be really, really good. Uh, the dunk fest the Nets had against the Wizards. Uh, there was a stat um, out there in that game. Uh, shout out to the Yes Truck for throwing up this graphic that the Nets uh, had the second lowest percentage of their field goals. Um, the second lowest percentage of their field goals were dunks. Uh, so not really a team uh, filled with explosive finishers, which shouldn't really be a surprise to anyone who's followed the team all season, but they went off against the Wizards. Uh, Jared Allen had a couple that reminded me of a young JaVel McGee. He's so much more confident finishing around the room. We saw all the missed dunks early in the season, and now that's only the territory of Quincy Acey. He missed another one against the Pacers, by the way. Um, and, and now he's just really getting way above the rim, flushing it with a lot of power and authority. So you love to see that fire from Jared Allen and, and the athletic ability to pull it off is obviously nice. Uh, the one that got me really fired up because I'm a big stan of his and just because I didn't think he could pull it off was uh, Joe Harris, a uh, semi-posterizing Marcin Gortat. I don't want to say dunked on him, but Gortat kind of did a half-hearted leap at it. And Harris, uh, on the replay, you could see he almost, I don't think his hands are quite big enough to easily palm a basketball or maybe he just got a bad uh, carry on at that time. But he almost fumbled the ball in midair, but got enough on it to flush it down with some heat on the ball. Uh, that was awesome to see. And in general, I like the fact that uh, Joe Harris has been playing bully ball of late. You see it one or two possessions every game. And like the Nets, like their, their primary offense are never going to be, it's never going to be Joe Harris attacking the basket. But it, it's cool to see two or three times a game. And he's usually super efficient when he does go this path, um, just kind of bully his way to the room. And he is stronger than a lot of the two guards that guard him just because he's kind of slotted in that spot. Quite often when he's in the game, when he's particularly when he's playing with uh, Damari Carroll, RHJ, and a big. Um, and he can just kind of overpower those guys. And then he's really good at finishing around the basket. So so many times you, you see guys with superior bulk not really comfortable using it. Uh, Harris, really smart about picking his spots and doing just that. Um, against the Wizards, another thing I loved is they forced a lot of live ball turnovers. Like a lot of times, or at least... Like recently, you haven't seen the Nets really run off turnovers a lot. And we mentioned how they're just playing downhill. Like every single time they'd get the ball away from Washington, they'd look to attack on the other end. And that's kind of daring against a team that has two super fast guards. But the Nets were doing it really, really effectively. And I think it, uh, it kind of elevated them to a different level when you combine that with the shooting and every single guy on the team making a concerted effort to attack the basket. All right, uh, the Pacers, it was kind of the same deal. Everyone was confident. Everyone was going to the rim again, and they started really, really strong. Obviously, they uh, ended up losing this one 123-119 in overtime. But to some degree, the first half and then the fourth quarter were like three of the best quarters the Nets played all year. Um, I, I don't know who to break it to, but the Pacers are actually really, really good. As of uh, tonight's recording, the seventh best record in the NBA. And watching them, you see why Victor Oladipo, it feels weird to say this, a bonafide star at this point. I think he's probably going to end up uh, starting the All-Star game. Or maybe not because, just because of the voting format, but he, he's going to be in the All-Star game. Uh, he dropped 38 points on the Nets. And then you have Miles Turner, who I, I can't believe how good his jumper is. Like I knew he could shoot, and I saw the stats on it, but you watch him in person, you see how much air he gets under and how feathery it is, uh, I mentioned uh, in part one, uh, kind of Chris Stapps Porzingis being my ideal example of a guy who can protect the rim and shoot the three, obviously, and Joel Embiid in that conversation as well. Miles Turner is right there with any of those guys, maybe 
maybe a slight notch below those two, but I don't know. I think I think he's a better shooter than Embiid, and he might be a better rim protector than Por- or he's very he's very similar to Porzingis as a rim protector. I think he might be leading the NBA in blocks per game so far. So yeah, I'll, I'll revoke any and all uh, qualifiers. He's he's as good as anyone at the uh, three and D uh, center spot, the stretch five, if you will. So he'd he'd be another guy who hypothetically, if the Pacers and they'd be insane to whatever give him up, uh, would be an incredible fit on this Nets team. And and then you, you, you keep going through guys. Thad Young didn't have a great game, but Nets fans know he's really solid. Uh, another former Net, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, uh, a killer, and he, he showed it off again in this one. Darren Collison has tortured the Nets in all three meetings they had with the uh, Indiana Pacers, uh, certainly the last two. He's really, really good. DeMontis Sabonis, two vicious dunks. Lance Stevenson had an amazing finish. Yeah, up and down this Pacers roster, really, really good. And uh, obviously no one saw this jump from Victor Oladipo coming, but maybe they should have been projected for a little bit more coming this season. All right, all those qualifiers aside, uh, yeah, the Nets started really, really well uh, this game. They're breaking down the Pacers with pace, uh, no pun intended, and uh, their ability to attack the basket. And again, they, when they have that kind of intensity and they're looking to drive and they're looking to get layups and then three-pointers come within the flow of the offense instead of kind of forced heaves at the end of the shot clock or guys just getting overconfident and pulling up early in the shot clock and taking bad shots, uh, suddenly the offense looks a lot better. Weird how that works. Um, hopefully, I know they didn't uh, they didn't play great against the Spurs or Pellies, but uh, looking further down the road in uh, kind of a macro sense, I'm hoping they can maintain that. Uh, yeah, and the other thing I wrote down was, uh, yeah, it wasn't just like one guy breaking down the defense. It was every guy across the roster early in the season-esque was the sentence I put out there, and I'm not going to go away from that. Uh, Nick Stauskas, I was happy with how he played. I know his best game of the season was uh, certainly that Raptors game, but given the fact that it will it turn into a blowout, that'll kind of be forgotten. I, I thought this was kind of the first one. He really seemed comfortable out there with his teammates and everything was in rhythm. Uh, there was one play where he could have made an extra pass that he didn't, but he shot the ball really well. Uh, had one, uh, yeah, he had, he had one three that beat the shot clock buzzer from like 25 feet out to, to end like a, a terrible Nets possession. It seemed kind of like the Wizards game where after, uh, after the Kings one where everything went wrong, it seemed like everything was going to go right for the Nets. Uh, very next play comes back down, has a ridiculously athletic finish. I think it was, it was either over Turner or Sabonis where he kind of bumped in, took some contact, uh, put it up and in, uh, that I thought should have been an and one. He didn't get credit for that, but it, it just showed that he's starting to find out where he can pick his spots. And obviously he's not going to shoot the three ball. He's not going to make half his threes every single night. But uh, on the nights he does, he's really going to be a, a good part of this Nets rotation. And I think if if he continues to stay in rhythm and continues to get opportunities, I, th- I think more often than not, he it, it's going to happen. He's going to shoot it well, and he's going to be in that category. So I really liked what I saw from Nick Stauskas in this game. Uh, the Nets defense kind of uh, continued over from when they shut down the Wizards and shut down the Kings in the second half. They held Indiana to just... 41 first half points and and part of it and you saw this in the third quarter where Indiana just started making everything it was a lot of it was the Pacers kind of hurting themselves and like missing shots that they'd normally make uh Victor Oladipo didn't really get it going until half number two even though he was he was solid in the first but the net the Nets were particularly good around the basket uh they kind of stifled Lance Stevenson uh going to the rim uh they held Sabonis pretty well outside uh those few dunks uh 
and they, they, they were just pretty consistent at the bucket, and I think that was kind of a product of their help defense yet again. I, I mentioned it in regards to the Kings um, and possibly with the Wizards, but it, it was really Joe Harris again, a guy who stood out to me. He was just like all over the place helping and, and making plays and getting his hand on the ball. Uh, Alan Crabb had a few great plays on defense, just recovering loose balls and then quickly getting the ball up the court. And he, he was better as an outlet passer than I thought he was. He, he, had, he had a few that were really nice. So it was just max effort from everyone and and kind of everyone having each other back and having each other's back and playing on a string, which is all you can hope for when you're at a talent deficit and you don't really have a true rim protector. It needs to kind of be defense by committee. And, and that's what the Nets have done uh, at least uh, over, at least until the second half of that Pacers game where things kind of fell apart. Uh, they had 15 assists on their first 20 buckets of the first half. That was with like one minute left in the first quarter. So I'm okay calling that the second quarter, excuse me. So I'm okay calling that. The first half, yeah, just unselfish, smart basketball. Uh, something I didn't like from a Nets perspective, but love from an Indiana perspective. Uh, Victor Oladipo in transition is just, seems like he's unstoppable right now. He's not as long as Giannis and not quite as crafty as James Harden, but he's almost effective somewhere in the middle of those two where he does have really good footwork and he is really patient and obviously doesn't have, I, I just said it doesn't have Giannis's length, but does have kind of that freakish athletic ability uh, going to the basket. So he, he's, he's really a terror in that category. And I'll, I'll say it for the millionth time. I'm stunned by how good he is this season. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, uh, please leave a rating and review on iTunes for the Locked on Nets podcast. It really does benefit uh, me and Josh because you leave a good rating. Um, it, it gives us a chance to get out there for more people to view the podcast, more Nets fans to discover uh, what we feel like is a really, really strong product. So please check that out uh, and give us a rating and review because we also want to know how we can improve. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Thank you. So the Nets, uh, they were up by as many as 19 and a half, number one. And it went from that to uh, down nine with two minutes left. And the Nets, I, I, I always feel like... I know, I know momentum's like a big deal, but I always feel like when you have to make a comeback like this, you're doomed anyways, even if you make it. And 99% of the time, you're not going to make it down nine with two minutes left, but it really was amazing. Uh, Alan Crabb is the guy who gave them a chance. Like if he had missed this shot, the game would have 100% been over, but instead got a four-point play with, I think it was Corey Joseph or Oladipo jumping out on him. Uh, yeah, again, when Crabb is hitting, his three-pointer looks as good as anyone in the league. Got a ridiculously high arc on it. There was never a chance it didn't go in. Uh, just an awesome clutch play from Alan Crabb. And then uh, Dinwiddie, um, I might have mentioned this one last time around, and, and we'll get to his overall game because it was it was spectacular. Uh, but this play really stood out to me. Uh, Dinwiddie uh, kind of, he was driving uh, left to right baseline, and then he kind of had, he had Joe Harris um on the uh, top of the arc, slightly over to the right, and Damari Carroll in the corner, and and neither of them were open. But he looked, he he jumped, and then looked directly at Harris, looking Carroll off. And the defender of of Carroll's just like totally fell for it. Uh, went in Harris's direction, just assuming Dinwiddie had no other option. And then Dinwiddie just threw this brilliant no look. Uh, to Harris in the uh, excuse me, Carroll in the corner, and then Carroll proceeded to drain a three to uh, bring the deficit down to two or three. And it, it was 
it was just just another high level read and high level defensive manipulation by uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I don't want to make too much of it, but as I say all the time, I love that guy. He's such a smart, fun player to watch. And then shout out to Damari Carroll as he's been doing all season, hitting a big three pointer. All right, then they got the uh, RHA putback, a little bit of quick offense, and then Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, you could argue this was him taking a terrible shot. I would argue it was another stroke of genius on his part uh, with like 17, 18 seconds left in the game. He draws a foul on Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph was just totally crowding his airspace. He, he didn't think Dinwiddie had any intention of shooting at that point because it wouldn't have made any sense for Dinwiddie to shoot with that much time left in the Nets uh, trying to tie this one. Uh, it would have made sense for him to go around five, six seconds instead of uh, 16 or 17. But Dinwiddie, sensing opportunity, went up right into his hands, drew a foul, uh, made all three free throws. So just an absolutely smart clutch uh, intersection for Spencer Dinwiddie. And it, it took uh, those three brilliant plays, one really nice one by Hollis Jefferson for the Nets to send this into overtime. Uh, ultimately, uh, after the Nets made a few big plays in OT, uh, Victor Oladipo closed this one out for the Indiana Pacers. But yeah, that was just about everything I liked and didn't like from the Kings, Wizards, and Pacers game. Uh, thank you so much for going along for this ride with me. Uh, for the next week or so, we are going to try to keep up with the games a little bit more. Um, I know we're still two behind right now, and we got to knock one out on the um, Spurs and Pelicans. And uh, I'm hopeful that's going to happen tomorrow night, if uh, not uh, perhaps on Friday. Uh, either way, we'll be back soon with the Locked on Nets podcast network. So for now, I'm Gavin Shaw. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gavin Shaw. You can follow the podcast at Locked on Nets. Much appreciated. Peace out.